The contents of this podcast are provided for general information and educational purposes only and do not constitute investment, accounting, legal, tax or other professional advice. Welcome to the Money Magnet Podcast, helping you attract and keep a fortune that counts with co-hosts self-made money magnet Steve McKnight and esteemed journalist Rowan Wen. G'day, Steve, and g'day, listeners. Rohan! What was that, buddy? Well, it's your name with an exclamation mark. All right. Now, we're back to talk about money. Today's topic is the surprising truth about savings. So what is surprising about savings, Steve? Well, buddy, no easing into this episode. Straight to the heart of it. Well, here's the lesson. You can't get rich by saving, but you'll never be rich if you can't save. Now, we've talked about this in a previous episode. Mm. Let's break that one down. It does sound very zen. I kind of mm. like it. So let's work through it. What does it mean? We spoke earlier about who do you know who got actually rich by saving. And can I just say that there is something comforting about watching your bank balance grow. Yeah. You think, right, well, I'm heading in the right direction. You also feel like you've got a bit of sort of mastery over it. Yeah, and a bit of margin. If something unexpected comes along, I've got the ability to pay for it. Something like, I think it was three quarters of Americans would struggle to find $300 in an emergency. I probably could have looked at some stats in research for this episode, and I'm sure that'd be one of the sort of things, because a lot of people don't have access to free money. They think that if they're in an emergency, they can just borrow it. Mm-hmm. What if you can't? There is a wallet wizard, is that the one? The, the ads that are on daytime TV, and it's like, oh my God. You're doing watching money. daytime TV. Well, I watch a lot of TV because I have Days to consume. Days of our lives. I know. Obviously, I watch... <laughs> I usually watch ABC News during the day, but I often have to jump into commercials to see what the people are watching so I can work out of how course, to best what the people are talk watching. to them uh-huh. through political communication, right? Mm-hmm. And so you watch a bit of the morning show and various shows like that, and they have this guy comes on. It's dodgy as hell. It's just like, oh, my God, you've got an emergency. Ring the wallet wizard. We can loan you up to $5,000 on your phone quickly straight away. And it's like, yeah, but then what, mate? They've got to pay it back, and the interest rate is ridiculous. What I want to point out here is that you can't get rich by saving. It can make you feel better. But you need to save to get rich. We've talked about this, yeah? Yeah, but remember, you can hug your money, but your money can't hug you back. So while you can pay someone to hug you with that money, (laughs) you can look at your money and you can go, wow, it's getting bigger and it's getting bigger. And it can provide some sense of satisfaction and it can provide some sense of security. But that means that it's a store of wealth, not a source of wealth. Uh, is that why we tell our kids that you've got to save money? Because we want them to, one, get disciplined, not waste it, and two, get them thinking about it being a store of wealth. Yeah, well, this is a bigger conversation, isn't it? I think our parents tell kids that they need to save because they believe that that is good financial advice. Mm. But they're not telling kids to save to invest. They're saying save so you can buy some stuff. Well, they're only telling them to save. They don't say why you need to save. Or if it's implied, you need to save up for... If you want something. You yeah. want those sneakers, you've got to save up. So you can spend. Yep. So it's what I call save up to spend down. And it's a zero-sum game because there's no benefit left after you've spent that money. So what should we be teaching our kids then? Well, savings are a store of wealth. They represent future consumption to many people. This is what I can buy with my money. But what we want to be teaching our kids is, yes, savings is important because it represents consumption control, which sounds very technical, doesn't it? Mm. Control over your spending. That means not wasting money. But... What we also want to be trying to teach them, and even better, not just teach them, because we know kids don't listen to us. Mm. They watch us, but they don't listen to Mind us. We, yeah. So <laughs> we need to show them they what to do. <laughs> but because many people don't know how to invest themselves. Yeah. You can't only, teach kids what you don't know. Well, you can't teach them and you can't show them. That's right. And so you go back to the safe ground of what you know, 
which is you need to save your money. Yeah. Parents need to lead by example, don't they? That's really the issue here. And you listen to your talk. You're actually right. Kids learn where they live, yeah? And so if they don't see you doing the right thing, they won't do the right thing. And if you don't know how to do the right thing, then your kids will never know. I bang on about this. If the kids see you using a credit card, but they don't see you paying it off, Mm. they're going to use a credit card and they're not going to know about paying it off. Yeah, good point. And if they don't know about how to pay it off or how to manage it, they may easily get themselves into a dreadful debt situation. So we've got to kill off the theory in our kids' minds that if you save, you'll get rich. Yes. Yes, we need to tell our kids that savings isn't enough. Savings is the start, but it's not the end. What we need to do is then deploy that capital rather than save that capital. We need to get it out of being a store of wealth to being a source of wealth. And the difference between savings and capital is savings is a store of wealth. Capital is savings deployed in an investing context. So we need to say to our kids, turn your savings into capital by investing it. In a way, we're going to make the most money in the quickest time for the least risk and the lowest aggravation. So let's get to buying houses then, because kids are obsessed with that at the moment. Certainly kids at my kids' age, where they're sort of getting into the I want a house and move out kind of phase of life. And they're sort of saying, but it's not a very good investment. And you've argued previously that it's not the best investment at a house. But then I would argue that's true, except it's forced savings. And sometimes people get value from that. Can we agree? I know it's unusual on this podcast. The listeners are shocked. They just drive off the road if they're listening to their car. Don't drive off the road. No. I think for people who would otherwise spend the money and have nothing to show for it, Mm. they're better off getting into a house and chip, 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 chipping away at the mortgage. So at least at the end of it, they've got a house. See, I saw this before the cost of living pressures that are hitting people now. I did see a lot of my renting friends would go out and they would have three or four cocktails and then that's 200 bucks gone. And it's kind of like, well, that's a lot of money. If you're putting that into a mortgage, for example, eventually it adds up. And you're right. If for someone who would otherwise spend their savings rather than deploy their savings as capital, forced savings in paying off a home loan is going to result in a better outcome than renting and just consuming those savings. But there is a better way, again, for those people who are disciplined and knowledgeable and accountable enough, which is to rent and deploy your money into investing and then buy your home out of the profits from your investing, which is what I did. Yeah. But not everyone can do that. Yeah. And there are different ways to the same outcome, I guess. But this is your way and it works an absolute treat. Well, it depends. If you want what someone else has done, listen to their podcast and follow what they recommend. Totally. There's lots of books out there by people who have different ways of thinking about money. And if you want the outcome that they write about, then you can buy buckets and do various other things. All right. Well, let's return to the second part of what you said. You'll never be rich if you can't save. Well, remember Y minus E equals S. So having savings illustrates you can live within your means. But if you don't have savings, then you haven't mastered managing your money because if you don't have savings, your expenses must be greater than your income. Got it. So that means you might have the appearance of wealth. I mean, surely you've met people in TV that have got the flashy car and maybe the nice house and the suit and the shoes to go with it. Sure. But Not just in TV, everywhere. In a crisis, if they needed money in a hurry, they would struggle to rub two red cents together. Totally. Do you know where red cents comes from? Do you reckon it's the ones and twos? They were red. I don't know where it is, but now I'm going to have to find out. Yeah, the old red cent. I don't it may, think not, it's it may not be an Australian thing. No, red cents. The ones and twos were red because they were copper. Well, that's not red, mate. That's brown. 
Well, they turned red. They were tarnished. All you're doing with your money, mate, to make them go red. <laughs> Not putting in a Coca-Cola. No, but anyway, you have to distinguish between the substance of wealth, which is assets providing recurrent income that you can use for survival and significance, and the appearance of wealth, which is, hey, you look like you've got it all together. You've got the beamer in the driveway and the boat down at the dockyards, but you're in debt up to your eyeballs. All right, so listen, in your book, Money Magnet, which is fantastic, there are some other interesting topics, including some handy calculations that readers can do. But I want to spend a moment talking about lazy money, because mm. I like the term lazy money. What is it? Think about a bag of chips sitting on the couch. Yep. The old lazy money. Yeah. So remember the mantra, make more, manage better, multiply faster, and give meaning to your money. Lazy money is money sitting around. You've got the make more and the manage better. Maybe you've got some capital that you've gone out there and deployed. But that capital has now gone up, perhaps in value, capital appreciation. And so there's money that you've got there that is wealth, but you're not properly deploying it. So you're not making the most money in the quickest time for the least risk and the lowest aggravation. That makes sense. So the money is kind of lazy then. The money's kind of lazy, but they are a lot of words. So let me try and give you a really simple maths example. Okay. I love maths. No, but keep going. All right. So $10,000 a year of rent. Yep. And you buy it for 100000 Not that you can buy a house for hundred grand anymore. But okay. 10,000 divided by 100,000 would mean your return is? 10,000 divided by 100,000. Is a what percent return? 10% return. Good. Now, if that property went up in value from 100 grand to 200 grand and you had 10,000 rent divided by 200,000, so 100,000 original cost, 100,000 of capital appreciation, yep. our return's gone from 10% to? 5% is halved. I like the way you said that. 5%. Well done. Thank you. So how can something that was 10% be worth 5% now. Good question. It's because that $100,000 of capital appreciation hasn't brought in any extra income. Got it. So you've got more capital, but not more income. That's right. So that $10,000 now needs to be stretched over $200,000, not $100,000. And so, so the that, money's lazy. The money's oh, lazy. I got it. I got it. I got it's it. It's not being put to work. It's not doing enough for its value. That's right. So if you use market value, you've got a 5% return. But if you use cost, the hundred grand, you have still got a 10% return. So why aren't people doing more about this lazy money? Do they not notice it or what's going on? People aren't doing more about these lazy money situations for three reasons, buddy. The first is set and forget. They're very passy with their money management and they're just happy to let it ride and sit over there and not care about it. In fact, they feel good about how much their property's gone up in value, but they don't price the income on that equity component. Which is a lost opportunity. The second point is there isn't a clear goal. So there isn't a clear signal about when to sell and redeploy or how to act. Got it. They knew when to buy. They decided they wanted to buy the asset, but they didn't have any idea of when to sell or why to sell. So they had half a plan, right? They didn't think, okay, I'll buy it now, but once it's worth this, we'll sell it and then do something with the money. Yeah. How many people buy an asset and they think, I'm just going to set this asset forever? Well, most people because it's the home they live in, but yeah. And then third of all, you would have to pay tax if you sold a profitable asset, and Australians hate paying tax. So they'd rather be wrong and save tax than right and make money. That's because psychologically, we actually feel losing more than we feel good about gaining. Yeah. I just think Australians are pathological haters of paying tax, and they'll do anything, even lose money if it means they pay less tax. Mm. Do you see that a lot in seminars and stuff like that? Yeah, negative gearing. The whole presumption know, of negative is nuts, gearing is lose, lose money. Lose money to get a bit of money back. Lose money now to hopefully make money tomorrow. Mm. Like, 
how many of these properties would I have to buy in order to stop working? Well, you'll never stop working yeah. because you need the on the treadmill to fund the loss. So I guess it's hard to have an abundance then of money with a scarcity mentality, yeah? And that is the exact point. So to wrap up, let me say this. Increasing your savings speaks to mastery of living within your means. Yep. But increasing how fast your capital multiplies speaks to mastery over investing. The first part is your Y minus E. The second part is your S, your savings turning into capital. The first part is about making more and managing better. And then the last part's about multiplying faster. And what we've been talking, I've also been Googling, and Mm -hmm. red cent actually refers to worthless money. Did you know that? No. Where does the red come from? I won't give you a red cent. That bit I couldn't get there in time, but I just looked at the meaning of it. I just thought you were reading your emails. I was a bit disrespectful, but I... <laughs> no, I'm <laughs> contributing to the show. I can do two things at once. I'm multitasking. You should try it. It's great. Anyway, try it after the episode. Thank you for the chat, buddy. Takeaway, remember the oh, man. sorry, the takeaway. Make more, manage better, multiply faster, and we've covered them, and then we're going to start moving on in episodes to come to giving your money more meaning. I love it. That mantra again, make more, manage better, multiply faster, and give more meaning. Do you like it? Do you like the mantra? I do like a mantra. Everyone likes a mantra. Yeah, I like a mantra. Like if you could sit there every morning and say, right, I'm going to get up. What can I do today to make more money? What can I do today to manage my money better? What can I do today to multiply my money a little bit faster? And what can I do today to give my money more meaning? If we got up and just thought about one of those, let alone all four of them, we'd be making progress. I love it. Very thought-provoking. Let's think about it and chat next time. See you then. See you, buddy. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Money Magnet podcast. If you have questions or would like to provide feedback, then please send an email to podcast at moneymagnet.au. 